Hi, this is Sandy Rios on Sandy Rios 24-7. And today we're going to kind of take a break from the news. You know, um, if you listen to me much, you know that I have a favorite pastor, and he's really become my mentor through the years because I was at Moody Church in Chicago for a number of years. And before that, Dr. Lutzer and I, our paths crossed many times in actually some very funny ways, which I won't go into here. Uh, But uh, recently, he came to Florida to speak. Uh, And we, uh, friends of mine, organized this event. They all love him, and the the place was filled. And he delivered an intriguing message. It was called, The Eclipse of God, Three Gravediggers Who Prepared a Coffin for God. Yep, that was his title. And we're going to listen to that message today. Uh, before we do that, though, I want to tell you a little bit about him, because I don't want you to listen and say, I've never heard of him before. What is he? He's Canadian. He was uh, born in Saskatchewan. Uh, he was the senior pastor at Moody Bible Church in Chicago, right downtown in Chicago, for 36 years. He's now pastor emeritus. He's written, oh my goodness, at least 50 books, probably 75 books, Uh, all of which are wonderful. He's a great writer as well as a great speaker. He is the host or speaker on three different radio programs, heard on hundreds of radio stations around the country, Uh, Moody Church Hour, Songs in the Night, and Running to Win. That's the one that a lot of people are hearing on Moody Broadcasting these days with Dr. Erwin Lutzer. So um, you're in for a treat, and you'll learn something and be encouraged. But first, you know, we talk about preborn a lot, and that's because we believe in their mission. It's really simple, saving as many babies as they can from the clutches of abortion through ultrasounds and sharing God's love. When a mom hears her baby's heartbeat on ultrasound, the majority of the time she will choose life. Preborn is leading the charge in this effort. Their network of clinics are located in the darkest corners of the nation where the majority of abortions take place. This is real health care, life for the baby and life for the mother. Every day, preborn rescues 200 babies, and by the time this message is done, two more babies will have lost their lives. We need everyone listening to say, enough! We're going to fight for these babies, and the way we fight is to support preborn. Provide ultrasounds for these moms. It's $28 an ultrasound. Just go to preborn.com slash Sandy. That's preborn.com slash Sandy. Hi, this is Sandy Rios, and I miss you in the mornings. But now I'm hosting a podcast, Sandy Rios 24-7, which is available at AFR.net and SandyRios.com. Well, I finally finished that book. God's Velvet Hammer chronicles God's call in my life from a small-town girl to Berlin, Germany, Radio Moscow to North Korea to Washington, D.C. I talk about Sasha Girl. It was my disabled daughter. I talk about, I got the music in me. That's a chapter on my music life. Lost in India and other adventures is hilarious. You won't want to miss it. I talk about my sweetheart, the blessing of Bruce. And then a mysterious chapter called My Green Face and the end of it all. Oh, I think you'll enjoy it. Like the Apostle Paul, these are my shipwrecks and my adventures. All for Christ and his kingdom. God's Velvet Hammer is available wherever books are sold. And remember, Sandy Rios 24-7 is available at AFR.net and SandyRios.com. Well, again, you know, this is Sandy Rios on Sandy Rios 24-7. If you want to call us, you can at 662-821-2040. We can't talk to you live, but you can leave a message and we can use that on a future program. It's really fun. You can write us at Sandy at AFR.net. 
uh, our Facebook page is Sandy Rios 24-7. You can find us on Instagram, same address, Sandy Rios 24-7. We're also on any podcast platform, AFR.net. It's our home mothership, American Family Radio. But you can find us on all the other platforms as well. Okay, well, listen, I know you're going to enjoy this. This, uh, this. this man has taught me so much through the years. And now I want you to hear him and take in uh, his wisdom and his words, Dr. Erwin Lutzer, on today's edition of Sandy Rios 24-7. From American Family Radio, Sandy Rios. We are not called to be nice. We are often called to be confrontational. And here with me in D.C. is Fox News contributor Sandy Rios. I think the most important thing we need to demonstrate to our children is genuineness. That we actually believe what we say we believe. A longtime Fox News contributor, Sandy Rios, thanks very much for being with us. Seek justice. Not social justice, but God's justice. What's right and what's wrong. Sandy Rios is with the American Family Association. A pro-life radio talk show host. We've got to say this is the line. Life is sacred. Director of Governmental Affairs for the American Family Association. Step up. Speak up. Say something. Do something. All right. Now, thank you, Sandy. Appreciate so much this opportunity to be here. And if I walk slowly, it's because I'm 82 years old. Now, so many people die in their 70s that when I got through the 70s and got to the 80s, I was so relieved. I said, praise God, praise God, I made it past the 70s. You know, as you know, we have a president who's rather old, and he was campaigning last week, and he went to different places. You probably saw it on the news. And one of the places he went to is um, a uh, retirement center because he wanted to show his concern about older people. He sat on a bench with an old man, and he said to the man, Do you know who I am? And the man said, No. But if you go over to the desk, they'll tell you. (laughs) Now, with the lights coming this way, I can't see my beloved wife, but she's here somewhere. Rebecca, wherever you are, she right over here. All right, why don't you stand up, honey? We want to give you a, a round of applause. God has given to her to me as a gift, and I'm so appreciative. And we live in a rather progressive neighborhood in the Chicago area. We already received in our mailbox a save the date in June when we have been invited to attend a uh, animal rights barbecue. (laughs) So that's the way it is in the Chicago area. A couple of things before I give the lecture that I have prepared. First of all, I want you to remember that Sandy Rios, who introduced me, she has her autobiography for sale tonight. It's entitled God's Velvet Hammer. And the reason that you should read it is it deals with contemporary people that she has met. She's had a long career in media and politics. She, excuse me, identifies those who have stood for righteousness and those who caved under pressure. Very interesting book. 
It's entitled God's Velvet Hammer, and then you find uh, No Reason to Hide, also available, and uh, we hope that you take advantage of those opportunities. She also mentioned a book I've written, which is coming out in September, entitled The Eclipse of God. And that's actually what I'm speaking on tonight, the first couple of chapters. So if you pre-order the book, uh, you don't even have to take notes. But um, if you don't pre-order the book, you'd better take notes tonight. So with that, I want to also mention that Sandy has a podcast entitled Sandy Rios um, 7-11, 24-7. You know, sometimes... When it comes to math, Sandy, as long as I'm right 90% of the time, who cares about the other 5%? So you got that correct. And then uh, to mention one other podcast that you ought to click into, it's entitled With You in the Weeds. I have to confess, my daughter, who is a counselor, she and some others interact on all kinds of personal relationships from a biblical point of view. So with that introduction now, I'm going to begin. When I decided to speak to you on this topic, I want you to understand something very clearly, and that is that we are living at a time in American history where it is not possible for us to simply fight the battles that we are fighting intellectually or on the basis of rationality or on the basis of politics, though I believe politics is very important, and maybe we'll get some questions about that, but it is not all important. Behind what is happening in America, there are huge spiritual forces, and what we need to do is to acknowledge that, and that's why, as the people of God, we should be praying and seeking God on behalf of our country our children, our grandchildren growing up in a world that is so confused with so many opportunities for people to do wrong things. And uh, it's just heartbreaking to see what is happening. Now tonight what I'm going to do, and by the way, that was the voice of Billy Graham that you heard there, right? That was Billy. Billy, I thought, is he raised from the dead? How come he's speaking? And these people probably need a little shot of Billy, uh, a little more of Billy. I wasn't planning to do this, but since Billy was there, and I'm not going to stand up and do it, because if I were to stand up and do it, I'd be on the floor there. But um, maybe I can do a little bit sitting down. I'll give you a little bit of Billy Graham. The problems and the perplexities that we face as a nation seem to be almost overwhelming. Recently, one of our leaders, speaking to a group of students at Johns Hopkins University, said that we may well be living in the most confusing, bewildering, and perplexing hour of history. All of our leaders agree that the world seems to be plunging headlong toward disaster. Now, I could go on for a while, but I'll get to the... I'll get to the bottom line. Just write to me, Billy Graham, Minneapolis, Minnesota. That's all the address you need, just Billy Graham, Minneapolis, Minnesota. And now until the same time next week, goodbye, and may the Lord bless you real good. I want to draw a lesson from what I've just done. When I was growing up in Canada, Billy became my hero. 
Out on the tractor, my father's tractor, out in the field, I impersonated him, read everything I could about him, and there's a lesson to be learned. I believe that every teenager needs a hero. Every teenager, and it shouldn't be Britney Spears or some of those others, everyone should have someone to whom they can look up to and say, you know, I wish I could be like him or her. It's very important. But that's not why I'm here to speak today. I'm going to speak to you about having a funeral for God. As I say, this is taken out of my new book, which you can pre-order, of course, The Eclipse of God. And if I'm here next year, I may speak about a different part of the book. Nietzsche, who was a philosopher, Friedrich Nietzsche, in Germany, he proclaimed the death of God. Now, Nietzsche died in the year 1900. He wrote in vivid terms about the demise of God. Do we not hear the noise of the grave diggers who are burying God? Do we not smell God's decomposition? God's too decompose. God remains dead and we have killed him. How shall we, the murderers of all murderers, comfort ourselves? Who will wipe the blood from our hands? Wow. Nietzsche didn't identify the people who had had killed God, but um, it doesn't take too much speculation to think of who he might have had in mind. And tonight I'm going to introduce you to three philosophers who really prepared a coffin for God. We're going to be talking also about the role of the church, and then we're going to end with some powerful lessons for today's culture. You say, well, Pastor Lutzer, why did you decide to speak on these philosophers? My dear friend, there are philosophers who still rule the world from the grave. The impact of philosophers, scientists such as Darwin that we'll mention, huge impact. And what I'm going to do is draw direct lines between what they taught and what we see in culture. But remember, the bottom line always is, what is the lesson for the church, for you and me. So thanks for being with me on this journey. The first person I'm going to identify, he attacked God as ruler, Karl Marx. Marx was brought up in the Rhineland of Germany. He was Jewish, even though he wrote against the Jews. He looked around in England and elsewhere as the Industrial Revolution was coming along, and he said to himself, there's oppression The bourgeoisie are oppressing the proletariat, the workers. And, of course, he was right. There is oppression. There's oppression everywhere. But the solution that he gave to that oppression has been a curse to much of the world and even an ongoing curse in our country. What he decided to do is to break up the world, in effect, between two categories, the oppressed and the oppressors. And so what you have to do is... People are good. Human nature is good. All that you have to do is to take away the oppression, and then they will live together in harmony. So he spoke against God, obviously, but first of all, the family. Why? Because the family was a unit of oppression. Men oppressed their wives. Parents oppressed their children. They took them to church, and God was the ultimate oppressor. And so if we can get rid of God, if we can get rid of the family, this was very important to him. And furthermore, 
sometimes in a lecture like this, I don't know how much to throw in, but one of his concerns was that parents sometimes pass on their wealth to their children, and so that breeds inequality. And what you have to do is to make everything equal. Well, if nobody owned anything and the state owned everything, the state could divvy it up fairly and with equality. Also, what he decided to teach about is not only the exaltation of the state, relativism in truth and morals, but of course nobody is going to give up their wealth and their position gladly. So he knew that he was going to have to foment a revolution. And that revolution meant that everything would have to be taken from those who owned anything, and it would be given to the state so the state could you know, uh, do it fairly, right? Everyone from his ability to everyone according to their need. Wasn't that nice? So, of course, you have the bloody revolutions that all of us know about. But here's the thing. What he discovered was, what he believed in was, that all of society has to be interpreted in terms of the oppressed and the oppressors. Now, in Chicago, Saul Alinsky was there during the 50s and 60s, and this is so fascinating. I spoke to someone who worked for Saul Alinsky, who was a a Marxist. He did not believe that you should do anything to help the under under uh, the communities that were underfinanced, under resources. This guy said we had good reasons and good plans to help the under-resourced areas of Chicago, but he was against it. He said, "Do not solve problems; use problems." So what he did is he took the oppressed oppressor model and applied it to race. And so what you have as a result of that, we talk about cultural Marxism. Cultural Marxism is the idea that we can have a Marxist state without the bloody revolutions of China and Russia if we do it incrementally, step by step, institution by institution. And so you have critical race theory coming out of that. You have intersectionality coming out of that. And you have the whole idea of socialism Does socialism work? Of course not. It cannot work. You know, there was a kibbutz in Israel that wanted to run according to socialist principles. So everybody got paid the same. The lazy people got the same amount as the people who worked hard. And uh, they misused all of the free goods. And finally they gave it up and they said that socialism is nothing more than a... um, opportunity for, it's not coming to my mind, I haven't used this for a long time, but the idea is it is misused and becomes, here it is, it becomes a paradise for parasites. So you have all these people wanting something from the state, expecting something from the state. And then, of course, Karl Marx was a globalist, and we heard the other day how the World Health Organization said that um, there may be a pandemic on the way, 20 times worse than COVID, and all the world countries should sign over, and they should sign over some authority to who? World Health Organization, so that we can have a globalistic approach to this. Well, you and I know where that is going. All right, that's Karl Marx. 
who rules much of the world today from the grave. Scary. I could tell you about what communism has done, but I don't have to. You already know it. Frightening. So, Marx declared that God was dead. We make up the concept of God. There's no God that created us. We create God. Number two is Charles Darwin. Charles Darwin uh, may have died as a theist, but he was very much opposed to Christianity. And uh, Darwin, interestingly, took the point of view that maybe we can explain all of life by having a similar origin. So all of life began in some warm pond somewhere, and from that all of the different life species arose. Now in one quote, which I think is seminal to what I want to talk about, is that he said, and I'm quoting now, the devil under the form of a baboon is our grandfather. Obviously, we came up through the monkey world, as the monkey said in the zoo. Am I my keeper's brother? (laughs) But anyway, (laughs) as far as Darwin is concerned, we came up through the animal kingdom. Think about this carefully, everyone. If that is true, if we are the same as animals in different in degree, but not in kind, then there's absolutely no argument against abortion, euthanasia. You know, in Canada, you have 1,000, 10,000 people dying by their own choice, euthanasia. There's no argument against that because we do that with animals. When an animal was born on the farm, where I was, if there was a pig, that piglet who was actually, uh, you know, uh, deformed, we took it out of its misery. Some of you have pets and animals, and once they get old, you take care of them to the vet, and, and you have them die mercifully. Why? Because they're animals. Now, isn't this interesting? So actually, there's no argument against all of these things that we see in our society if we came up through the animal world. But here's what fascinates me. When you take animals and you try to exalt them to the level of humans because they are our ancestors, in this, at the very same time, you are devaluating mankind to reach the level of animals. And so it is very interesting. The animals are not pulled up to the level of humanity. Humanity is brought down to the level of animals. And that's where you have eugenics. Eugenics is the idea that the stronger races are always evolving. And these stronger races will eventually, of course, choke out the lesser races. And why not help the process along? Eugenics means you kill inferior people because actually it's the superior ones who are going to win in the end anyway. Nazism is applied Darwinism. Sometimes I've met people who said, well, you know, Hitler could not have been a Darwinian because Darwin's writings weren't translated into German at that time. But of course he had aides and he had people who had read Darwin. Fourth chapter of his book, Mein Kampf, My Struggle, is basically Darwinism. 
Why not kill the inferior people, the Jews, in the interest of the greater people, the Aryans, and let's help nature do its thing and help nature along. I could go into how New York was struggling what to do with rats. They knew that rats had to be killed, but they didn't want to. uh, And of course, we believe that all of this should be done humanely. But the last part of the article says the real problem isn't the rats, it's the human beings. I mean, the rats are our distant cousins through the animal world. So if you have a rat, take good care of him, because who knows, he may be your distant relative. (laughs) Now, out of this grows all kinds of things. You see, if you want to destroy the created order, like Darwin and Marx, then you can even recreate yourself, and that's where the whole idea of transgenderism comes from. Transgenderism, the idea that I'm born a boy, but I want to be a girl, or I feel like I should be born a girl, and I want to tell you, you have to deal with this, parents and grandparents, with a great deal of sensitivity, a great deal, because children today are confused, and they're confused because of what they're being taught in the public school, They are being confused because they are filled with guilt because of the pornography that they see. They're told it's normal, but in their hearts they know it isn't. And so they think to themselves, I am so, I lack peace. Maybe if I say I'm trans, and if I'm a boy and I say I'm a girl or the other way, somehow there will be an alignment and there will be peace. So remember... If your child comes to you and says that, deal with it with a great deal of sensitivity. Don't be quick to judge them. They are going through internal turmoil that they don't know what to do with. So be careful. Warn them about the dangers. Tell them this. You can make whatever decisions you want. You're free to make whatever decisions you want, but you are not free to control the consequences. And the consequences are horrendous. So anyway, now let's get this straight. Marx attacked God as ruler. Darwin attacked God as creator. And the implications are huge. Let's talk now about a third man by the name of Freud. And Freud attacked God as lawgiver. To summarize, Freud believed that much of neurosis that people experience today is because of sexual oppression. So if we had no sexual oppression, then indeed everybody would be healthy because sexual pleasure lay at the heart of human happiness. So not even children should be denied sexual pleasure. The next fall, the next barrier to fall in America here, I hate to tell you, but I think, I hope I'm wrong, but I don't think I am, is pedophilia. Why? Because, after all, men like Kinsey, whom you've probably heard about, who had sexual, uh, sexual books that he wrote and supposedly a scientist, horrible man for many different reasons, but he talked about the fact that children and infants can experience sexuality. So all that we need now is someone to write a paper to say that It is really unfair to pedophiles 
to say that they cannot have their sexual oppression or their sexual experience, I should say. And children can enjoy it too, because up until now the argument has been, well, children can't be those who agree to it because they're too young, but what if it's the kind of pleasure that they really need? Once you begin to live without God, there is no limit to where evil can go. So you have Freud. And of course you have drag queens and so forth in our libraries. You all know that story. So we are a sexualized, a sexualized culture. In the book that God wants all of you to read that's for sale tonight, <laughs> entitled No Reason to Hide, I refer to a textbook used in Illinois. Horrible. Things that I wouldn't even say publicly. And I won't even give you the name of it. But it is filled with every kind of sexual aberration that you can think of in sketches for young people. If your young people are going to a secular school, you had better find out what it is that they are being taught. That's all that I have to say about that. So here you have now three grave diggers who, in effect, did away with God. Freud also believed that we create the idea of God. God doesn't create us. And, of course, that all fits in with Darwinism. And now we get back to Nietzsche, the German philosopher who declared the death of God. He's the one I began this lecture by saying, you know, uh, we have killed God. Do you not hear the noise of the grave diggers? They have buried God. And Nietzsche believed that it was his responsibility to give the news to the world. Nietzsche was very interesting. He was brought up in a Lutheran home, spent some time in an insane asylum, was apparently a very dull and boring lecturer, wrote a lot of things that are kind of complicated to understand. But at root, what Nietzsche believed himself was this, that he agreed with Marx that God didn't exist, but he totally disagreed with Marx regarding nature. You see, Marx believed that the state can impose equality on everyone. Equality was the big word. Everybody has to be equal. Nobody should be paid more than somebody else. By the way, Rebecca and I were in Russia before the wall fell. And we discovered that doctors were paid very little more than the people who swept the floors in the hospital. Is it any surprise that they had a great dearth of doctors? But anyway, so here you have this idea of equality. Nietzsche disagreed with that. Nietzsche said, first of all, a philosopher illustrated it this way, that mankind was like a teenager being awakened in the middle of the night and told that his parents were, were dead, that his parents were dead. And uh, the teenager now has to go it on his own. So Nietzsche said, we stare into the abyss, and he knew what it meant to proclaim the death of God. He knew that this meant there would be nihilism, there would be, uh, there would be total disarray, there would be no values. 
He said that when we stare into that abyss, the abyss stares back at us. So here's a man who was totally committed to the idea. We have to do without God, Nietzsche said, because God is dead, but the consequences are going to be horrible. Well, this is Sandy Rios, and I hate to interrupt my, uh, my dear, precious mentor, Dr. Erwin Lutzer. He's speaking <clears throat> on the eclipse of God, three grave diggers who prepared a coffin for God. It's fascinating. I hope you're enjoying it, and we're going to get right back to that in just a second. Freeborn, of course, makes it possible for us to have these discussions. So I know that you'll be patient as we tell you again about their great work. And by the way, if you have the means, would you consider a leadership gift to preborn to save babies in a bigger way? Your tax-deductible donation of $5,000 will sponsor Preborn's entire network for 24 hours, helping to rescue 200 babies. To donate, all you have to do is go to preborn.com slash Sandy. That's preborn.com slash Sandy. And now, back to Dr. Erwin Lutzer. Now, in order for you to understand Nietzsche, He did believe that nature is a reality and nature is whatever nature is. So he agreed with Darwin and said that we were, in effect, cousins to apes. But because he believed in nature, let me give you an illustration that another philosopher used to help us to understand Nietzsche. Let's talk about nature for a moment. Uh, If you were to interview a sheep and say, sheep, what do you like best? What would the sheep say? The sheep would say, you know what I really like? I like to be grazing on a hillside with others that are just like me in the sunshine. We can lie down. We can live with tranquility. That's what I believe is best. That's my nature. All right, go over here, and now it's time to interview a wolf. What is, what is your desire, Mr. Wolf? My desire is to take a sheep and to tear it into shreds and gobble it down. Now, let's suppose you're going to have a peace conference. And you're going to say to yourself, you know, there are wolves over here and there are sheep over here. Maybe what we should do is to see if we can come to some common ground and see whether or not we can achieve some harmony. Where would that go? So what Nietzsche said is, as he looked back at history, he said he believed that its most glorious moments were when the wolves were in charge. He ridiculed Christianity. I mean, he cursed it. The meek shall inherit the earth. When have you ever seen the meek inherit anything? Forgive one another. Be humble. Where has that gotten you? As far as Nietzsche was concerned, it was just counterintuitive, not only that, but Christianity made people say you should be a sheep when you are actually in the midst of wolves. What sense does that make? Is it any wonder to you that Hitler kept a copy of Nietzsche next to his bed and gave a full series of Nietzsche's books to Mussolini for his birthday. And Nietzsche was heard to say, excuse me, Hitler was heard to say, you know, why can't we be as cruel as nature? 
In nature, the wolves win. And that's why Nietzsche said that what we really need is a Übermensch, Übermensch, namely a superman. We need that superman who's going to take over, and the superman will rule, and nature being what nature is, all of the sheep will be gobbled up, as it were, and the wolves will be in charge. So here's now something very heartbreaking. Nietzsche proclaimed the death of God, and I don't have the quote with me, but I'll tell you what he said. He said, now again, we have killed God who will wipe the blood from our hands. There is no God. And he foresaw how terrible it would be because he knew that Christianity was the glue that held morality together in Europe, but he felt that he could no longer tiptoe around it. And then he said, we now have to have a requiem for God. And in one of his books, he talks about a man going into all the cathedrals of Europe and singing a requiem to God, because after all, you want to give God a decent burial. And then he said this. He said, the churches of Europe have become the tombs of God. It's chilling. Go throughout Europe today. There are some cathedrals that are still open, but they are totally empty. Nobody attends church. In Europe today, I read an article about this 10 years ago in, in a major magazine. All of the cathedrals, not all, but many of them are libraries. Many of them are mosques. Libraries, mosques, and of course also you have uh, restaurants. Let's, let's go to Bedford, England, where John Bunyan was. That cathedral is now a nightclub. What Nietzsche said was true. The cathedrals of Europe are the tombs of God. Now, Europe does not have a culture war like we do. Why? Because the culture has totally won. The culture has eaten up the church for lunch. Now, there are still pockets of commitment to the gospel in Europe. I've been there. I've preached in Germany at a conference that was hosted by the Brethren Church of about five, 600 pastors. But I mean, that is really a small little bit in the midst of a country that has forgotten God. And as a result of that, huge consequences come. Now, I want to answer a question, where was the church in the midst of all this? But first of all, I do have to ask this question. What did God think of his funeral? Well, listen to this. Why do the nations rage and the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and take counsel against the Lord and against his almighty, saying, let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord has them in derision. And elsewhere in the Psalms, it says the same thing. It says, God laughs at the wicked. He scorns them. So Nietzsche had a funeral for God, but God attended his own funeral. And he was there all the time, watching, listening, but he was not worried about his existence. Where was the church in the midst of this? I'm talking now about the era of the 1800s. 
and uh, then the 1900s, which, of course, the consequences of the 1800s were in the 1900s, where you have two world wars, where you have Marxism, communism. But the question is, where was the church in the midst of this? I have to tell you that by then, the church in Germany had already been eaten away by termites within the church that had weakened it. There are two different kinds of attacks that come against the church. One is an outer attack, and we could think of the three philosophers I mentioned as belonging to that group. But there's also the rot within the church that makes its demise almost certain. Let's go to a man by the name of Friedrich Schleiermacher. I think that's probably German. <laughs> you know, German is the only language in which you can say, I love you, and it sounds like a threat. <laughs> ich liebe dich, really? Do you want to settle that out in the hall? <laughs> Schleiermacher was born in the 1700s, died in the 1800s, but... He is the one who is known as the father of modern liberalism. And he has a very famous statement that he is known for. In other words, you don't have to believe all the doctrines of the Bible. You don't have to believe all of the miracles of the Bible. Because, this is critical now, religion is a feeling of dependence. In which case, someone said, my dog is very religious. So it's a feeling of dependence. So now you no longer are bothered with all of the doctrines of Christianity. No, you don't bother those. What you do is, religion is now a feeling of dependence. Now, if you invite me back next year, and I can't guarantee that I'll be alive, you'd be surprised at the statistics on death, but nonetheless... <laughs> If I am alive, and if you invite me back, I might decide to speak on another aspect of my new book, and that has to do with truth. I wanted to say this, and I forgot earlier. In the new book, The Eclipse of God, I deal with the question of whether or not we can still believe in the God of the Old Testament, the smighty almighty of the Old Testament, as he is called, where you have you know, harsh penalties, you have the killing of the Canaanites, the stoning for various things, and then you get to the New Testament. So one of the longest chapters is in, my book, in my book is entitled, Is God More Tolerant Than He Used to Be? How do we handle the difference between the New Testament and the Old Testament? But in it also I have a chapter on truth. So I'm going to give you a little capsule as to how you can tell the difference between a progressive Christian and a traditional Christian? The answer is this. The progressive Christian begins with his feelings, his or her feelings, and then they develop their doctrines from there. For example, the whole LGBTQ plus community has really advanced in America because of people's feeling of compassion, feelings of compassion. Compassion is very good. Jesus looked over the audience in his day, and the Bible says that he had compassion on them. But you don't, we who are 
traditional Christians, we don't begin with compassion as our basis of truth. We begin with truth and then the feelings follow in whichever way the feelings follow. Because, as you've heard it said, feelings are not facts. But when Schleiermacher made the statement that, um, you know, religion is a feeling of dependence, think of how that has filtered down into America, where you have all of these people saying, I am spiritual, but I am not religious. I connect with the God that is within me. And that God is already there, and in effect, as Billy Graham said in what we heard, in effect what they are saying is, I am God. And I have this feeling of dependence, and what I feel is real. So we're living in a society today where you, they think that they can have spiritual experience that is totally 100% cut off from doctrine, or any such thing. You have to understand the relationship between feeling and truth. You see, there was a time in America, back in the days before it would have been possible for your son to tell you that he was pregnant, <laughs> where people knew that objective truth outside of ourselves existed. And they had... There were arguments as to how to get there, arguments whether or not we had arrived there and all that. But truth existed outside of ourselves. Today, truth exists within you. And when you go to college too often, what they are trying to do is to bring out the truth that is in you, and that becomes then your truth. Longer discussion at some other time. So Europe experienced the demise of God. On many occasions, it's been my privilege to lead tours to the sites of the Reformation. You and Bruce came along, didn't you, Sandy? I'm doing it one more time this May. I wish I could invite all of you, but the, we limit it to one bus, and the bus is full. But when we go to the church where Luther nailed his 95 theses, and you go inside this huge castle church built in the 12th centuries, how they built that, I, I have no idea how they did all that without power and motors. But anyway, when we were there a few years ago, they asked the tour group to leave because they were having a Gottesdienst, which in German means a meeting in church, usually a short meeting. But because I know some German, my parents spoke German at home, I stayed for the service. The man read from the Old Testament in honor of the Jews. He read in the New Testament in honor of the Christians. And he read from the Quran in honor of Islam. And he said, in this church, we honor all three of the world's great religions. And Luther is buried right over there. Now, in 2017, I went to many churches giving a one-hour lecture on what Luther said about Islam. And I can tell you this, I was expecting Luther to do flips in his grave when close to his grave, that pastor said those words. So you must understand here that the wrecking balls of secularism through the philosophers, and there are others through Nietzsche and others, those wrecking balls destroyed Christianity 
But Christianity was already, as I mentioned, being destroyed from within by the liberal scholars who told people, you don't have to believe the whole Bible, don't believe the miracles. Just treat the Bible like a cafeteria where you go through and you choose only the chocolates and you leave everything else behind. Well, what are the lessons that we should learn from this? Why this lecture on history, on philosophy? Always remember this, that when God is evicted, the devil moves in to take up the empty space. So I have three lessons I want to leave with you. Number one, we dare not take the continued existence of our churches for granted. Don't think to yourself, oh, our churches in America are always going to be here. This church is always going to be here because Jesus said, upon this rock I will build my church. I believe that when Jesus said that, he was talking, first of all, upon when he said that he was building the church upon the rock and so forth. He was speaking about his own demise when he said the gates of hell will not prevail against it. He meant that the gates were going to close upon him. He was going to die. Right after that, he talks about going to Jerusalem. I don't think that we can take this as, well, churches are always going to exist in a certain area. Now, the church is going to always exist somewhere. And sometimes in one country, when the church is in decline, it actually increases in another country. And then, of course, you have the invisible church. In Iran today, there are tens of thousands of Christians. A number of people who do mission work there would say that there are a million Christians in Iran. But of course, they can't confess that without losing their lives. So God has his church in places that you and I know nothing about. Behind the headlines, God is at work. But let's not think that we can be complacent because after all, Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. Heartbreaking. But go through the Middle East today and you will find these beautiful Christian churches, these cathedrals are mosques. I've been in Turkey twice and we were in the Hagia Sophia, the Church of Holy Wisdom in Istanbul. Mind-boggling beautiful, dedicated in the year 536. I mean, how did they do that? I have no idea. But it's been a mosque since about 1460. And then it became kind of like a museum so we could go inside. But now it is more or less also again uh, like a mosque. Christians are not allowed in unless, of course, they have certain credentials and all. Rebecca and I have been to Nicaea that's where the great council was held. Now, we weren't in that church because it no longer exists, but we were in a church nearby when the second, uh, it was actually the seventh ecumenical council was held there in 787. It's been a mosque now for, well, you can do the math. You know, from 1400 on, 600 years, it's a mosque. Your church could become a mosque. Rebecca and I have been to the uh, country of Russia, not only 
before the wall fell, but after the wall fell, we were in St. Petersburg. We were taken into this beautiful church. I mean, just huge. Under communism, that church was a museum to God. This is what Christians used to believe. If you want to know Christianity, which was a thing of the past, which has been stamped out because God doesn't exist, this is what they used to believe. It's a museum. Now, of course, since the fall of communism, it is open again. There are few people that attend. But let's not be naive as to say, oh, you know, things are just going to continue on the way they are, and as long as we're okay, we are going to be okay. No, this is not a time for complacency. It's not a time for taking things for granted. So that's the first lesson. We dare not take the continued history of our churches for granted. There's a second lesson. Nations, Christian ministries, and denominations can end in a very dark place, a very dark place, of surrender to the cultural culture of liberalism and so forth. They can end there either slowly, step by step, increment by increment, decision by decision. They can do that slowly or they can do it very quickly at times. Some of you may actually be attending denominations that are liberal. And it's interesting for me to know that Christians sometimes say this. Well, you know, when our denomination began to ordain same-sex marriage relationships and approve them, we recognized that it was time to leave. Okay, but I want to tell you this, my friend. If your denomination got to that point, it lost the gospel long ago. That didn't happen overnight. The gospel was lost. The centrality of the cross, the need for repentance, that already was lost. So let's remember it can happen gradually, but it can also happen quickly. And you and I need to know that there could be in America, obviously, some catastrophic judgment. I mean, there could be a financial collapse. There could be cyber attacks on and on. And suddenly, we have to think through, how are we going to relate to this when our way of life that we have become accustomed to here in America no longer exists? And at that point, what you'll discover is that we will join the rest of the world, which is in a great deal of turmoil. You know, Saul Alinsky, whom I referred to earlier, he used to always tell people, whatever you do, do not contrast America with other countries because America will look too good. What you have to do is to keep pounding home that it has not lived up to its expectations and its promises. And of course, America isn't perfect and never will be. But my heart breaks when there are people who think that this dominion is not worth preserving. I mean, really, Americans, their money fuels mission work around the world. I actually was born in Canada, so I became a naturalized citizen. Thank you for letting me into your country. <laughs> and um, 
It's heartbreaking to see how America is being attacked. Of course we're imperfect. We'll always be imperfect. We're human beings. Human beings are fallen. But at the same time, wherever we have gone in the world, the mission work has all been funded by American dollars. There's a third lesson. Good people can be intimidated into silence. Good people can be intimidated into silence. When all of these changes came to Europe, it was not as if suddenly nobody believed anymore, there was nobody preaching the gospel. There were people. But oftentimes, Christianity dies when good people, committed people, back away because they are intimidated. Brothers and sisters, I think that we are living at a time when neutrality on a lot of issues will no longer be possible. Up until now in America, you could kind of live in what we could call the mushy middle. You wouldn't necessarily have to commit yourself to something. and You could remain silent on certain issues. That's not the way it is. That's the way you and I grew up in America, but that's not the way it is out there anymore, and it will continue to push us to ask this question, are we going to stand for truth and righteousness or not? Let's go to England. In Oxford, England, they have graded churches now on the basis of their LGBTQ plus relationship. If your church gets a red light, that means to the LGBT community, don't go there because they actually believe that homosexual relationships are sinful and they're opposed to same-sex marriages and they will actually call for repentance. So that's a red light. And there are a number of different gradations within these various lights, by the way. But then there's the yellow light, there's the amber light. The amber light says, yeah, they're opposed to these things, but you'd never... You'll never hear it because they would never really be willing to take a stand. That's amber. And then green light. Green light is come one and all. It may be, you know, in fact, you know, the, the gay flags. It may be identified as being a trans church or a LGBTQ plus church. So... The question that we have to ask ourselves is, how will we be graded once that comes to us and will be asked? Are you going to take a stand or are you not? Because no longer is neutrality possible. The pastors in Europe who want to keep one foot in the Enlightenment, and the Enlightenment had a lot of positive things, by the way, but one foot in the Enlightenment, one foot in secularism, and then one foot in the uh, Bible discovered they had a decision to make. There's so much I could share with you. You know, Hitler, you probably haven't heard of Operation Grief. Griffin in German. Operation Grief was this. Hitler had a brilliant idea. He said, look, the captured soldiers that we have killed of American, the allies of the allies, Let's take their uniforms, put them on German soldiers, and then we're going to send our soldiers 
into the Allied camps to create confusion, to give conflicting orders, to take road signs and turn them wrong and all that. It didn't work very well because even though the Germans that they put the uniforms on were able to speak English, they didn't speak English very well. They had a bit of an accent and people picked up on it. But what a brilliant idea. You wear the uniform of your enemy so that you can go into enemy territory and pretend that you are one of them and create havoc. Isn't that exactly what Peter said regarding false prophets? They come and they appear to be right and they certainly seem to fit in, but inwardly they are actually on the side of the enemy. Well, after all this bad news, we should be reminded of Chesterton's remark, Christianity has died many deaths, but has risen again because it has a God who knew his way out of the grave. Now, what do we do in the midst of this? And I'm going to be closing in just a moment because we're going to have some time for questions. I don't have it in front of me, but you remember what Psalm 11 says? When the foundations are destroyed, what do the righteous do? And there are many people who ask that question, what do the righteous do? Just read the rest of the psalm. The rest of the psalm talks about God's sovereignty. It talks about God's justice. And in the end, it says, the righteous shall behold, the righteous shall behold his face. So when everything falls apart, what do the righteous do? They trust God in new ways. And the day may come, maybe not for us because, you know, old age. You know, the good thing about old age is it doesn't last very long. (laughs) So for us who are older, it may not happen. But I'll tell you, to your children and to your grandchildren, the day may come when they will have to trust God in ways that you and I have never had to trust him. And the question is this. Are they going to be able to do that when the foundations, the very fabric of society, is destroyed? Now, God is with his people. God will stick with his people all the way to the end. But his people are going to enter into new territory. And they're going to have to trust as we've never had to trust before. All right, Sandy Rios, back with you. That was the voice of Dr. Erwin Lutzer, a pastor emeritus of the famous Moody Church in downtown Chicago. If you, any book Dr. Lutzer writes, I commend. Uh, this book, he's getting ready to come out. We'll talk again with him. Uh, the Eclipse of God is going to be his next, next book, and he's, re- he's talking about that uh, in this particular lecture. How fortunate we are to be able to hear his wise words right now at this time in our history. It's a, it's a special moment in time, and I hope you've enjoyed it as much as we have and, of course, the audience that night. I want to remind you that you can find us on any podcast platform. Uh, AFR.net is our home space, but SandyRios.com is kind of a one-stop shop. You can go there and listen. You can call us at 662-821-2040, or you can write us at Sandy at AFR.net. Facebook is Sandy Rios 24-7. Instagram is Sandy Reels 24-7 as well. So um, that's a lot of information, but I hope you enjoyed and were enriched by today's edition of Sandy Reels 24-7.